0: 78644 4 is brought to you by Texas Hatters, Wella Foods, Thunderbird Bars, the Little Alamo Airbnb, Two Wishes Ranch Event, and Birdie House Airbnb. If
1: we, if we should try to double that, just you can go, I wanna go. And I'll take home. Let's sing, let's all sing, I wanna go. Okay, dude, all three of us. Then that won't make it stand out if we don't phrase together right. so much. All three of us do it. Just yeah. like on the melody, I wanna go, go home with the armadillo. Arm yeah. Good country music from Amarillion. I wanna go home with the armadillo. Good country music from Amarillion.
0: What you're hearing hasn't been heard in 50 years. It's Jerry Jeff Walker and the Lost Gonzo Band working on arrangements in Luchenbach during the recording of the legendary album, Viva Trilingua. What you're essentially hearing is the album being born. Beginnings are much like a blank canvas, they invite us to paint our stories with the colors of possibility. They're the foundation upon which dreams are built and aspirations take flight. Interestingly enough, endings are sort of the same in that they're not just conclusions but also the genesis of new beginnings. As T.S. Eliot said, we shall not cease from exploration, and in the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and to know the place for the first time. I'm Stephen Collins, and this is 78644.
1: From
0: being too short. We're going to explore a little bit more of Jerry Jeff Walker's source material from making Viva Terlingua later in the show. Um, but now we're going to turn our attention to a Lockhart singer-songwriter who's fairly new to music um, and been playing for a couple of years on the ukulele and finding... A personal journey in doing so. We got a chance to catch up with Mags Baker here in the studio.
2: Yeah, I spent about a decade in uh, San Francisco and I spent about nine and a half years trying to get out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and move, apparently, to Texas. I didn't know it at the time, but I knew that I wanted to get back to country living, have some acres, look at the stars, and live a lot slower life than I was in San Francisco. So uh, yeah. my life had a few things to rearrange uh, to get here, and some of those I'm writing songs about now. Because you said
0: that home home was New England, right?
2: Upstate New York, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I still my, my parents are still up there, so we're... Now that it's 100 here for a week, we're out. We're going to New York for the summer and going to try to plug into the music scene up there now that I'm a musician, officially, musician. I'm fighting the imposter syndrome as I'm saying that to you right now, but I am a musician.
0: No, I don't think so. (laughs) Yeah, I know what you're saying, but I don't see an imposter. That's fascinating, though, because... Is, is music something that you discovered recently? Or talk a little bit about
2: that. Yeah, so I picked up a ukulele when I was 35. And um, I'm 38 now. And so I've been playing for three years. And I just have been tinkering around. And I'm I'm like a serial hobbyist. So I like get so excited about roller skating and I buy every accoutrement and then I roller skate so hard for three weeks and then I never use my roller skates again. And I thought that would happen with the ukulele, but I am just keep picking it up every day. and I decided about three years ago when I picked up the ukulele that I was just going to be brave every day and I was just going to find a way to be brave and what started three years ago was learning one song on the ukulele and playing it for my sweetheart and that was like the scariest thing that I had ever done at that point point. and I made him close his eyes and turn around and <laughs> and not say anything until I was like okay I'm done positive feedback go. Um, <laughs> And from there, it's just evolved. And like music, as musicians know, is just like this life force. I'm like, this is this is why I'm here. Like music means everything to me now. And so as I've been following the little breadcrumbs of music and being brave and singing for more people or playing, writing new songs or going to Kervil Folk Fest and just being out of my element and diving right in, um, the more brave I am, the more the universe seems to reward that. As, as evidence as I'm sitting here with you right now. It definitely up-leveled when I came to Texas, and especially Lockhart, um, just catching the live music scene in Lockhart. We have world-class musicians here that we can just catch at a bar with 10 people in it on a Saturday afternoon. And seeing that and being inspired by some of the local musicians like Haliana or Jenny Saad, I just am like, oh, I think, I think I can continue to be brave and get on a stage and, and write my own music. And that's something that has happened this year. I started doing the open mics at arts and crafts in January and it's just evolved from there. And the first time I ever got up on stage, I was like, I'm, I'm going to die. Like, this is not, I'm not going to make it. (laughs) And then it was fine and I made it and it was good. And I've just now learning how to just be calmer in my nervous system and more in tune with who I am and, and being able to Hold the energy of an audience. That's something that I've learned recently. Um, I took a performance workshop at Kerrville Folk Fest, and it was helpful in that because I had found that I have been trying to stay in the shadows for 38 years, and like the shadows won't have me anymore. <laughs> so. I also had this really big fear of being seen and being on stage and receiving attention um, from you know my life experience of receiving unwanted attention or attention that didn't end up in a good place. I was like, let's just not do any attention. Why would I stand on stage and let people see me? But it just is more clear and more clear that like I have to, I have to sing, I have to write music, I have to share this joy from my heart into the room with others and, and they feel it too. And it's like the magic that, that is created during a gig, when you share that, is just something that people can walk away with, and so I've decided to be brave and go ahead and share my music with the world.
0: Well, I think yeah, that's. I mean, that's. It's kind of like um, taking out a part of yourself that hasn't been been used in a while, or For maybe sure. you know, that that's pretty fascinating. That, yeah, that that's happening with. Because I, I agree that music does do that, mm-hmm. but st- kind of stumbling upon it is is interesting to me.
2: I. I think I had just been listening to the thoughts in my head my whole life and thinking they were true, like the ones that told me I wasn't good enough or wasn't worthy, or the people would just laugh at me or make fun of me. And there was just this moment where I woke up one day and I was like, everything I've ever been told is a lie. Like, I get to decide what happens here. I get to feel safe. I get to follow my passions. And it's like, once I started realizing that the thoughts that I had been given by my parents, no offense, parents, love you, um, and society, were not actually true and I didn't want to follow them, then this whole universe opened of like, wow, I can just do things and I don't have to be terrified of trying them. And I might feel like an idiot, but I can survive that and get to the other side of that and practice doing that. And in total, total transparency, three years ago, I picked up the ukulele because I started dating a cute guitar player. And I was like, I want to play ukulele with him. (laughs) Now he's my soon-to-be husband, Um, and so that has worked in in a lot of ways.
0: But yeah, the feeling like a imposter or or like the I feel like an idiot kind of thing. Yeah, it's really kind of anything that causes discomfort is growth. You know, like that. Sure, that's in that way. For sure, you're not making a choice to do like I'm going to be uncomfortable by doing something that's as. uh, you know, uh, illegal or something right. like that. This is <laughs> like something that's yeah, it's it's growth in a way that that is rewarding.
2: Yeah, it's that vulnerability, right? Yeah. and and that song soon to be. That's the first thing I wrote. I wrote it two months ago, and I wrote it. Um, I was sitting in the back of. I had my tailgate popped up. I was just sitting in the back of my car in a Culver parking lot in Austin, waiting to meet someone from Reddit to buy a composting toilet, you know, like the most Austin thing ever. And it just came to me and I just was like, oh God. And my kid was occupied for a minute for some weird reason. So I just like grabbed a pen and I just like started writing it and it just came through. And I was like, I gotta sing this now. And it was like, I sung it for my soon to be husband first. And that was like, again, I made him close his eyes. This is three years in. I was like, close your eyes and turn around. (laughs) I have a new one for you. And it just like felt like my heart was just like bursting the first 10 times I sang it for anyone. And then it felt normal. Like I could do it. But when I would continue to do it, I would see the feelings that I had been feeling when I first put it out there, the audience was experiencing, especially people who had gone through a divorce, right? Like, you know, half of us um, could really relate. And like the feeling that they, I could see that they felt seen and heard and valued. And that, was like, okay, this is why I have to be brave. I, this is why I have to be vulnerable. There's no stopping. I When I first moved to Lockhart, it took me almost a year really to like start finding community and start finding my place. And one of the things that helped is I just started playing ukulele with a couple friends at Good Things on Sundays, at 11 we started. And I would just call it Ukulele Jam Along. I ended up making some the song, I was like, I know some songs. I am I play ukulele, I know a couple songs, I'll just teach them to you. And so I was like, I'm basically in music first grade, but if I can teach m- music kindergartners, we can just like learn together and keep learning together. I'm like two steps ahead of you, let's do this. Um, And the group just kept growing. People would wander in and they'd be like, oh, I have a ukulele that I haven't picked up in 20 years. Maybe I'll come. Um, And I just wanted to let people who hadn't ever played music before be able to play a song and strum along at a jam circle, right? Without feeling that they need 10 years of music experience to do that. Um, And what happened, it was... I wanted to do it for the community, but it was equally beneficial to me because every week I was seeing the same people. It, like, it was the thing that made me feel like I started to have community here. So I've got some um, shows coming up this fall, so I'm gonna do play the third Friday of every month at Arts and Crafts. And there'll be more shows, but magsbaker.com is my website, and that's where all my shows will be listed, and I do an email newsletter on there to keep people in touch with what I'm up to, music-wise and other things.
3: My soon-to-be ex-husband on the porch. Yeah, I'm sitting here between my soon-to-be husband and my soon-to-be ex-husband on the porch. funny. You made me laugh right through my teeth. The decade that we spent together I really can't complain about. We never really had to crash and burn. So I'm sitting here between And I soon-to-be ex-husband on the porch if I never meant to hurt you Never meant to break your heart And that fear kept me standing there for years Little So I'm sitting here between my soon-to-be husband And my soon-to-be ex-husband on the porch Now we're here together Watching our daughter swinging from the old ladder Tree in my yard I thought that maybe it'd be better for her if we're together now I can see it's better we're apart so I'm sitting here between my soon-to-be husband and my soon be ex-husband on the porch yeah i'm sitting here between my soon-to-be ex-husband and my soon-to-be ex-husband's girlfriend on the porch
0: Max Baker hosts a ukulele jam along Weekly in Lockhart to help inspire folks to join in on the music. It's hosted at Good Things. And uh, anyone's welcome to join. Um, you can catch her on Friday, September 15th at eight o'clock at Lockhart Arts and Crafts. Sarah Thompson has always enjoyed tinkering with the mechanics of things and working with her hands. Hair by trade, the Lockhart resident dove into the art of chain stitching. In 2018. Quickly falling in love with her very spirited 1931 Singer machine, Sarah organically combines her love for metalwork and attention to detail in the threads of chain stitching, finding inspiration in the geometry of nature and in the light, color, and sounds of the 60s and 70s. Earlier this summer, she was commissioned by one of our own Lockhartians to chain stitch a Western inspired jacket for Jen Hodges and the Corn Ponies and the Carper family band, for Jen to wear as she supported Melissa Carper's Grand Old Opry debut. And they came in to sit down with us here to talk about their collaboration and the wild ride that led to the coveted circle of wood that is in Nashville known as the Grand Old Opry.
4: in Austin for over 20 years and I had a client who um, when she would come in she would talk about this chain stitch machine that she'd purchased and how this it was so cool and she had no idea how to use it and she spent you know like a year or so trying to figure out how to thread it and get it to work and you know she would come back a few months later and and tell me how she'd made progress and she'd built a little bit of a business and needed to hire someone to help her. And I've always, anything I can learn how to do with my hands, I've always been interested in that. So I volunteered. I was like, I I could spend a couple hours or a couple days a week um, learning how to use it. And then not really assisting, but kind of being part of the production line, if you will. So I did that for a year and then decided by my own machine and start my own business and go from there. So that was maybe 2017 or 2018. The first four months with that machine were brutal, like 30 hours a week, just trying to get it to work right, rethreading it, recalibrating. It was, the the guy that I bought it from lives in India. So I would spend like three, four hours a day on the phone with him. And after about four months, I finally got it where it was like in like really good working condition. And then I just started, Tinkering and coming up with ideas for designs for patches and jackets and shirts and it kind of progressed from there. I started doing markets and selling things that way. And
0: and what did you have an interest in it before you saw the machine or? or-
4: I never, I had never heard of it before, and just from talking to this person, it sounded really interesting. It sounded like something that I I'd, I'd never seen before. I'd never heard of before. And then come to find out they were extremely rare machines and not very many people were using them currently to make anything with. And so it just seemed very intriguing. And so, of course, I wanted to try it.
0: Yeah. Oh, you're great at it. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And um, everyone that does it has sort of their own style within a style.
4: For sure. I I definitely, um, I feel like there's that, there's a classic style especially when you're working with suits, like there's a, there's a style, most people who want a suit jacket want that like iconic, like, like kind of fifties, sixties look and feel, which I feel like is a brilliant way to go.
0: Yeah. Right. <laughs> Showstoppers. Yeah. Like that brings us to you, Jen, cause you, you had a gig coming up and what gave you the idea to, to do what became the, the jacket? Is it, does it have a name?
5: Yeah. I just, Yeah, I just call it The Jacket. The Jacket, yeah. (laughs) Maybe I should name it. Um, I was invited um, by my good friend, Melissa Carper, uh, to join her for her debut Opry performance, um, which was a thrill and an honor of a lifetime. And, of course, my first thought was, what am I going to wear on that uh, historic stage? Um, You know, I wanted something that would be reverent and honor country music history I'm such a country music history nerd myself that I have have seen a lot of really cool stage wear from, you know, from that stage through the eras, you know, even back in the 40s, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. And so I um I typically wear a dress on stage or a skirt, but I just kind of had got this idea in my mind that I wanted to wear a suit. And I have actually for a long time wanted to get a denim jacket stitched up by Sarah. It's just kind of one of those, you know, bucket lists, maybe for a big birthday present or, you know, something, you know, something to kind of hope for. And when I had this opportunity, I just thought she would be the perfect person to hand my suit jacket over to. And I have admired a lot of her designs on other jackets and other, you know, clothing that I've seen. So I I knew that she's really good at those fine details um, with her chain stitch machine but beyond that, she's also an incredible artist, and she really understands color and balance, and she creates these these tapestries that are just beautiful. So I was really excited to work with her, and I asked her if we could talk about some ideas. And I came over, and we were just kind of, you know, hanging out in her studio. And I, you know, my band my band name when I'm not playing with Melissa, my band name for my own country band is the Corn Ponies, and so. I, I thought maybe this jacket could almost kind of be like a tattoo, kind of tell my story. And so some of the imagery I shared with her, you know, her corn stalks and maybe a horseshoe, maybe a, a pony and flowers. And I, it's really all that's really all I said. And I wanted her to have the freedom to do what she does, do her thing and map it out.
0: Yeah, and then, so you took that, how long did it take to do the jacket?
4: It took an obscenely long time. <laughs> Um, I, I'm guessing, I didn't really calculate, but I'm guessing it was probably about with the rhinestones, with the design, like putting the design together, stitching it and putting the rhinestones on is probably about 25 hours.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah, um, yeah.
4: But I also was very, <laughs> the material of the jacket is probably nothing that most chain stitchers would ever touch. Mm-hmm. It's super stretchy. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really, really tricky to work with. And so that slowed me down buy a lot, but I am so glad that that was the jacket because I think that, that the, just like the sheen uh, the, of the texture and it's, I feel like everything was perfect. So,
0: yeah, uh, we joked a little bit as we were getting set up, Jen, about how it's kind of your wubby. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yes. And oh my
5: uh, gosh. I'm just obsessed with it. I have it hanging in my closet <laughs> where like it's it's, it's on the back wall of my closet just by itself hanging. <laughs> um and with a little cowboy hat on top of it so I see it every day
0: and how was it to wear it on the stage
5: um it felt incredible it, I was so proud and I was just so happy everyone backstage at the Opry was like whoa tell me about this jacket <laughs> And know I was it just made my heart sing to be able to talk about Sarah you know my friend in Lockhart who is an amazing chain stitcher and handed her cards out and I uh, encourage some of my other country music buddies to to look her up.
0: It was absolutely awesome. great. I did it feel to see that jacket on that stage.
4: I mean, awesome. It was, yeah, it felt really, really great. It was very cool. It's, you know, it's not, it, I'm not going to say it's equally as like big of a deal for me because I wasn't physically on the stage. That's a whole different idea. Oh, but like, <laughs> <laughs> but it was, I mean, that's a huge thing for anyone, I think, to, you know, if you have something that you make and it goes into uh, an iconic setting, right? Like absolutely, yeah, yeah, it's a big deal.
5: The auditorium was full that night, which I wasn't expecting for a Wednesday. I didn't know really what to expect, but um, I guess just with their, you know, tour- tourist season in the summertime, their Wednesday Opry show is pretty well attended. So I heard over 4,000 seat auditorium, there were seven empty seats. Oh,
0: that's great. That's awesome. Well, we were, we were listening here as we were all happy. Oh, like, that's so yeah. great. Here we go. <laughs> Do you mind just before uh, to talk a little bit about your process? So you, you, Jen told you kind of the vision you and you mapped it out. And I'm just curious the process of from talking ideas
4: mm-hmm.
0: to yeah. making the actual product.
4: Yeah. The, I always look at every aspect of the garment, right? So I looked at that suit jacket and so there are pockets, there's a seam up the back. So I, I like to work around those things. So seeing that seam in the back, uh, I envisioned like immediately, I was like, well, it would be great to do something that's mirrored on each side, right? So which is where I came up with the corn stalks. And so it's exactly the same image and kind of, you know, going out towards the shoulders. I thought for the you know the front, she gave me specific like, well, horseshoes and corn cobs. And so I thought those individual items would be great to put on the front and then, you know, measure everything, size it out. So it has a good fit. It doesn't feel too small, doesn't feel too big. And then for the rhinestones, I literally, I purchased for 288, I think. And so I was like, well, these have to fit. <laughs> so I laid out the back first. I literally went through and like laid them out, moved them around, took some out, added some in, and then like counted, went to the front, did the same thing. And I ended up making it work where I used like 270 of the 288. Oh, wow. So I didn't want to get going and run out. Right. Yeah. So (laughs) I, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's a hard thing to describe like how, how the design process works. But I, a common thing that I do whenever I'm working, making something for someone or whether I'm just making it to be for sale is I'll like hang the garment up And just look at it for, sometimes I'll look at it for a day, sometimes I'll look at it for six months. Mm -hmm. And then I look at all aspects of every piece of it to figure out where things are going to go, what would best fit, how high, how low, all kinds of little details to get like the best thing. Yeah. Or what I feel like is going to be the best thing.
0: That's great. Yeah. Interesting process because it's you know, it's always, it's like anything traded where you, you start with an idea and then it becomes something. Was it, Jen, was it close to what you wanted or?
5: It blew me away. I, in my mind, I would, I would have been so grateful for just a little details on the lapels and maybe a little yoke or something in the back. I mean, that's what I thought was going to happen. And, She had it like on a mannequin bust for me to come. It was like a big reveal. She was like, do you want to see the back of the front first? And when I walked in and saw the back, I about died.
4: (laughs) Well, and it didn't like, because she was, perfect. she was playing at the Opry and you know, this is a big, it's a, it's a big deal for me as well. And it was my first piece that I was doing for something that was iconic like that. Mm So it didn't, you know, she gave me these ideas and it didn't matter at that, I mean, I really didn't care what her budget was. I was making this jacket. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah that's cool. So
4: that was what was gonna happen. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Any Jen, any stories you want to tell about the about being out and doing the Opry? And
5: I was just, you know, the jacket. I can't really, I can't really separate the jacket from my experience because it was just so much. Um, you know, walking in with it, you know, through this through the artist entrance, and you know, it was it was with me. It was like my teddy bear <laughs> the whole time um and uh, melissa and rebecca melissa carper and rebecca paddock who i was playing with they also had some they also wore brown and they also had chain stitching and rhinestones on their suits from a friend in nashville so we all kind of had these you know chain stitch motif and we just i just felt i know i felt more confident because of the jacket i was just so happy and so satisfied that it you know, I had dreamed of this thing that I didn't know what it would look like, but, you know, this is what I wanted all along. And so it was just really cool that it, the finished product was just so beyond what I had imagined. That's so.
0: awesome. Did your guitar get jealous?
5: My guitar? <laughs> yeah.
0: And you had My guitar it. had
5: been out for some repairs uh, for a few months. And a guy in Nebraska was working on it, had this really special problem with it. But anyways, I got, I got it back the Monday before we left. So it was really like one of my first gigs back with my guitar. So to have my guitar that I've played for, you know, over 10 years and the jacket, I just felt right at home. I felt really comfortable.
6: So the phone rings, David at the White House. And I'm like, oh crap, Big Jim wants money. And I'm like, okay, Jim, what's up? And he goes, excuse me? It was a lady. I said, I'm sorry, ma'am. I thought you were a friend that was calling from the White House and says, excuse me, but are you David Torres? David A. Torres is a yes, ma'am. All right, we're calling to verify the value of the president's hat to put in the archives, and we need to Verify, And I said, yes, ma'am, and I told her the price and everything. And she goes, OK. And then she goes, excuse me, but you said, Jim, and I need to make sure there's nothing left unturned on this conversation. You thought I was Big Jim. What does that mean? And she goes, is there something I need to know of? Because this is a president. And I'm like, well, let me tell you street lingo, friends of ours call the White House. It really means the penitentiary. And she goes, So you're saying street lingo out there is called the White House, really means sometimes the penitentiary? And I said, yeah, because the building's painted white. And she goes, hey, hey, hey. Well, okay. well, I just needed to verify and clear the air because the whole group family of Texas Hatters has security clearance, and y'all have all been checked out.
0: Come on down to Texas Hatters, where we top the best. Austin Music Love is putting out a local music discovery letter. They will send out the new songs that are released daily by local artists in the Central Texas area, including Lockhart. Plus, you can personalize your newsletter by genre. Over 1,500 local artists are signed up to have their music distributed through the newsletter, and there are about 50 new releases per week across all genres. Some of the Lockhart artists included are Augustin Ramirez, Melissa Engelman, Telenovela, R.F. Shannon, Richard Watson, and Parker Chapin. Find out more at austinmusiclove.com.
5: Hey folks, Emily here from Wella, a local family-owned business right here in Lockhart, Texas. We make everyday foods you love, like Thunderbird, Superfood, Energy Bars, and our Wella Hot Cereal and more, with only clean ingredients and amazing flavors. You can find us at HEB, Central Market, Whole Foods, good things on the Lockhart Square, as well as thunderbirdbar.com, wellafoods.com, and Amazon.
0: Now it's that time to go up in the clouds, high in the sky, eye in the sky.
7: This is Bernie Pawanik, and it's been so long since we did an eye in the sky. You gotta give up for the 78644 because that's the zip code that we make it all happen at, you know? So if you might have heard the heat, heard a other chopper, we had a real nice chopper but right now we have a chopper that we uh, brought over that was, uh, it's an old Huey, you know you can put like 7, 8, 10, 13, 15 people in it right now, but we've been walking around, you know, and then you get it, you got the gas all up and then we've been going and we've been getting this, Bernie Pawnee really been getting like, learned to kind of pilot this thing, you know, so I'm up here, I'm with my pilot but if something happens to him it's alright. So we're doing the Eye in the Sky, I'm looking down right now, it's kind of the same old, same old, you know, McDonald's is packed, you know, old mall's looking good, you know, even in the heat, you know, that food court, that food court, I would be packing it in, you know, you know, like they open at 10, they done at 8, you know, you got to get in there when you get in there, and so like, looks like we got a little build up there, but you can kind of tell back on the residential streets, I'm looking at Church Street right now, such a long, nice street, no one's on church. No one at all is on church. No one's driving around, no one's doing a thing. It looks like just kind of the fast food thing is what's going on right now. And that's always a good thing, you know. And it looks like also, like I noticed earlier that we were going down the highway 20 and it looked like the Whataburger Whataburger truck was coming with new fresh buns and, and probably some beef patties too. I'm not for sure. But you really gotta give it up, what a great town. The town's really doing great. You got to give up for the junior leaguers. The junior league has done so much for the town this year. And like I always say, Bernie Buoni just likes to be—he just likes to be part of the community and doing what he does. So we just really want to say thanks for Bernie Buoni. Oh, that's me. <laughs> and they the think for the seven, eight, six, four, four, four. But like, yeah, it's kind of the same old, same old up here. An eye in the sky. It looks like all the lines going to be at the fast food restaurants. Everything else looks like a queen sweep.
0: Just a reminder that our lineup is featured on our Instagram page and daily in our stories called The Roundup. If you want to know what's going on in town tonight, check out 78644podcast on Instagram. It's also the place to find out when our next episode is out. We want to remind folks about our 78644friends program. What are 78644friends? Well, they are super fans who believe that supporting musicians goes beyond just attending shows. It's about ensuring their return by tipping the band. To address the disparity musicians face in earning a living in today's world, we've initiated a program where you can make a monthly donation of $5 or more. And guess what? We will give 100% of your contribution back to the musicians who have played on our podcast. That's right, 100%. Supporting your favorite musicians has never been easier. Head over to 78644podcast.com, click the subscribe button, and sign up for $5 or more a month. It's the cost of just a couple of tacos. As a token of our gratitude, you'll be invited to exclusive 78644 hangs every month, where exciting perks will await you. Past perks have included paying your cover at the shows or offering a complimentary drink or gifting a swag bag to you. And that's not all. As a subscriber, you will receive a special link to a password protected playlist featuring all the original music from our show. This includes unreleased songs captured at the Tribular Image and Sound Studio, and it's an opportunity to enjoy exclusive tracks all in one place. So don't miss out on the fun. Sign up today and secure your spot on the invite list and support the incredible musicians who bring their talent to our podcast. And remember, always tip the band. Your contribution makes a real difference in their lives. It's time for 78644 News. Thursday, September 7th at El Rey, we'll have karaoke night at 8 p.m. Old Pal will have a Haliana Trio residency from 7 to 9 p.m. Friday, September 8th, at Lockhart's Arts and Craft, the Eric Hissaw Band, Natchett Taylor, and the High Lonesome is 8 to 11 p.m. The Pearl will have Sidetracked Blues Band from 8.30 to 10.30. Old Pal will have Dustin Welsh, 9.30 to 11.30 p.m. Saturday, September 9th, at Commerce Hall, Bakersfield, Texas will be playing, 7 to 11 p.m. Old Pal will be closed that night for a private event. Sunday, September 10th, the Pearl will have Sunday Matinee, W.C. Clark from 3 to 5. Wednesday, September 13th, The Pearl will have Chris Lancaster from 7 to 9 p.m. Old Pal will have the Parker Chapin Presents Chicken Fried Steak Night event from 7 to 9 p.m. Thursday, September 14th, Old Pal will have Paul Finney from 7 to 9 p.m. Friday, September 15th, The Martindale River Cafe will have Grant Ewing and the Hit Parade. The Pearl will have the Bastard Sons of Johnny Cash from 8.30 to 10.30 p.m., and Old Powell will have David Orr starting at 9.30 and going to 11.30 p.m. Saturday, September 16th, the Martindale River Cafe will have Eric Flores playing from 8.00 to 10.00 p.m. Old Pal will have Charlie Murphy from 9.30 to 11.30 p.m. Sunday, September 17th, the Pearl will have the Sunday matinee with W.C. Clark, 3.00 to 5.00 p.m. Wednesday, September 20th, Best Little Wine will have Mr. Carter's Smooth Blues Corner from 6.30 to 9.00 p.m. The Pearl will have Stony Gable from 7.00 to 9.00 p.m. Thursday, September 21st, Lockhart Arts and Crafts will have Trivia Night from 7.00 to 9.00 p.m. El Rey will have Karaoke Night at 8.00 p.m. And The Pearl will have Open Mic Night with Michael James Trio from 7.00 to 9.00 p.m. Sign-up starts at 6.30 p.m. Old Pal will have Beth Lee from 7.00 to 9.00 p.m. Friday, September 22nd, the Pearl will have Nate Rodriguez from 8 to 10 p.m. Saturday, September 23rd, Old Pal will have Deuce Bennett Trio from 9.30 to 11.30 p.m. Sunday, September 24th, the Pearl will have the Sunday Matinee with W.C. Clark starting from 3 to 5 p.m. Old Pal will have the Graham Wilkerson Brunch 12 to 1 p.m. Wednesday, September 27th, the Pearl will have Chris Lancaster from 7 to 9 p.m. Commerce Hall will have Yoga Wednesday, 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. Thursday, September 28th, Old Pal will have Mary Charlotte Young from 7 to 9 p.m. Friday, September 29th, the Martindale River Cafe will have Tammy Fest. The Pearl will have Grant Ewing from 8 to 10 p.m. Old Pal will have Emily Herring and the FM Band. Saturday, September 30th, Martindale River Cafe will have Tammy Fest going on. And Commerce Hall will have Theo Lawrence and the Hearts. 7 p.m. And that's it for 78644 4 News. One day I looked up He's
1: pushing 80 He's got brown brown tobacco stains All down his chin To me he's one of the heroes Of this country Why is he all dressed up like them old men? Just drinking beer and playing moon and 42. Like a desperado waiting for a train. In August
0: 1973, Jerry Jeff Walker and the Lost Gonzo Band convened in Luchenbach, Texas for a week and recorded the quintessential Texas album, Viva Trilingua. Fresh discoveries from the album, recording sessions, including lost moments from the legendary concert in Luckenbach on August 18, 1973, shed light on the making of the iconic album. The Whitliff's new exhibition, Viva Trilingua, the Big Bang of Texas Music, for the first time puts you inside the room with Jerry Jeff and the Gonzos to hear songs left off the original album, rehearsals, outtakes, and the high times and camaraderie surrounding the sessions. Hector Saldana from the Whitliffe Collection came to the studio and discussed the new exhibit with us and brought with him many things that uh, the public has never
8: heard before. I'm the music curator at the Whitliffe Collections at Texas State University, which is the uh, repository and research center at the university and also the museum uh, for people that haven't visited. Uh, We're also fortunate to have just under a football field of square footage of gallery space. So we function as a museum, but uh, we uh, sort of cater to researchers and authors and uh, documentary filmmakers and, of course, the public. And we're open free every day.
0: That's fantastic. The Whitliff is the official collection of Jerry Jeff
5: Walker's work.
8: Well, uh, yes, the Whitliff Collections has about 500 different collections that we preserve. So that's in the area of film, literature, photography, and music. So yes, Jerry Jeff Walker, his archives are one of the centerpiece archives that we have there. They are, uh, I would have to say, the, almost like the gold standard. Uh, and just for your listeners, what an archive consists of or can consist of is uh, letters, correspondence, photographs, Posters, uh, music, interviews, different artifacts, sometimes instruments, pieces of clothing, costumes. So it gives a full picture in that narrative. So it's it's sort of hopefully offers a little bit of insight to uh, to someone that visits uh, the museum. And also, I must say, just as a researcher and journalist myself, and as a curator and archivist, you know when you're there actually holding in your hands the letter that the young, unknown Jerry Jeff Walker wrote to his grandmother in 1967, thanking her for some money that she had sent him to fix an amplifier, and then just sort of casually mentioning that he'd written a song called Mr. Bojangles that was getting a little bit of radio airplay. I mean, it gives you chills. It's part of the origin story, the materials giving you that kind of insight and inspiration and also letting Anybody know that it just doesn't happen automatically? That it takes a lot of hard work and a lot of disappointments. You know, there's ups and downs, and so that's really our mission statement to try to get a little closer to that true story.
0: And and also maybe inspire new Texans to work on oh, creative yes. projects we, too. Yeah,
8: one one of the things I'm really proud of in the Texas Music Gallery, which is our largest gallery really nice space if I may say so myself but in one of the cases I've got some historic photographs that were used in Jan Reed's book The Improbable Rise of Redneck Rock which is was published in 1974. It remains one of the definitive works of that time because he was writing about all the music you know music happening in what we now call outlaw country. Well right there is the uh Graduate thesis of one of our uh, students, Avery Armstrong, who has uh, done research into the Lost Gonzo Band and what that era was about. So it shows that young people can, you know, learn more and take the story further, which is really what we're about.
0: Yeah, and And, it's like that's fantastic to, to have a a place where that is happening. That's what it's for. Which which brings us to this exhibit, which is a new exhibit. About, I guess you were able to go into the studio and take the master tapes for Viva Terlingua yeah. and find things that people had not heard before.
8: Right. So, a, a big dream of mine for a long time has been to tell a bigger picture of what happened with the Viva Terlingua album. And again, for your listeners, that's Jerry Jeff's album from 50 years ago, recorded in August of 1973, released in November of 1973. It was recorded in Lukenbach with the Lost Gonzo Band. It culminated with a a, uh, sort of an ad hoc last minute, last performance there at Lukenbach in the dance hall, where songs like Up Against the Wall, Redneck Mother, and London Homesick Blues came out of. But the album was not a live album. There sometimes is a misconception because of the popularity of those two songs in particular that it was a live album or that was a concert album. They were there hanging out in Lukenbach, you know, much like the band and Bob Dylan up in Woodstock when they were doing the basement tapes or music from Big Pink. It's a, a lot of Viva Trilingua is about that loca- locale and that vibe. So I wanted to do a, an ex- exhibition, the new exhibition, it's called Viva Terlingua, The Big Bang of Texas Music because from my vantage, it is the quintessential Texas album because of the songwriters that it, you know, brought into further prominence and because of the locale, you know, way before there was a song about, you know, let's all go to Luke and Bach, Texas, Jerry Jeff and, you know, this ragtag team were there making a record there. And then Jerry Jeff was not only recording his own songs, but songs by Guy Clark, songs by Gary P. Nunn, songs by Ray Wiley Hubbard, songs by Michael Martin Murphy, people that we revere these days. And he You know, he recognized that. So, again, you know, there's a lot of great albums being made at that same time. But I think that you can make the argument that this is the definitive Texas album and if not the big bang, you know, of uh, Outlaw Country and Americana, certainly part of the origin story and a big part of it. So in putting this display, this whole exhibit together, we digitized the Master tapes of Viva Trilingua, the multi track tapes. In other words, when they made that record, there was a mobile truck from New York there that was used. Uh, Dale Ashby and Sons was the company, and they were recording. My hope was, I kind of kept my fingers crossed, you know, could there be like a little bit of talking amongst, amongst the musicians? You know, could there possibly be rehearsals, maybe outtakes, maybe, you know, something that we didn't know? Sure enough, there was.
1: If we should should try to double out, just you can go, I wanna go. Let's sing, let's all sing, I wanna go. Okay, dude, all three of us. Then that won't make it stand out if we don't phrase together so much. All three of us do it. Just like on the melody, I wanna go go home with the armadillo.
7: Good country music from Amarillo.
1: I wanna go home with the armadillo. The country music from Amarillo and Aboleen. The friendliest people and the prettiest women you ever seen. London Homesick Blues. Gary? <laughs> All my friends are doing this album for me. Guy Clark even repaired this guitar.
8: So I guess the way to put it was for those fans of music, you know, like I love to go out and get box sets by different groups. So there's you know, there been box sets of, of the Beatles or the Beach Boys or Pink Floyd or David Bowie. And sometimes they have a lot of unreleased music or, uh, especially in the case of the Beatles and Beach Boys, you know, actual sessions where you see like the master the mastery of Brian Wilson in the production and how that happens. Well, we got some of that with uh, Jerry Jeff Walker and the Los Gonzo Band. And so that music and that chatter and that camaraderie and those outtakes are all playing in the room for the visitors. So in other words, when you come and see the Viva Trilingua exhibition, not only will you be seeing, for example, the piano that was used on those songs that was out in Luka Bach, that's there, or part of the drum kit that was used, you know, or uh, Jerry Jeff's hat and his guitar and things of that nature, which are incredible. There
1: you get Baba D. It's so hot in here; the strings are just stretching all over the place.
0: If we could have it quiet, we could tune up, and uh, you know.
1: I
8: just can't, I can hear it. I can't hear it. Just... That audio, I think, takes it to a new level. For a newcomer, it shows the incredible excitement that was going on around that record. And then for someone that knows that record, you know, upside down, forward, backwards, maybe that was even there, it's a chance to hear it in a new way. And it really is. It really is a reminder, man, these guys were epic. You know, and I think without sounding too pompous for the first time, really, we're kind of giving that same sort of reverence and respect to an outlaw country record that you would to the Beatles, if that makes any sense. In other words, we're saying, hey, someone like Jerry Jeff Walker is worthy of checking out what an outtake was or an alternative version or some of this, you know, what you know, what was some of the talking going on, discussion happening in the making of that record, sort of that fly on the wall experience. And then let me just jump ahead. One of the things that was incredibly exciting was to find almost totally complete performances from August 18th, 1973.
1: Pack up, all your dishes Make no of all good wishes Say goodbye to the landlord for me Sons of bitches, always boring Throw out those L.A. papers Morning box of vanilla wafers Adios to all this concrete Wanna give me some dirt road back straight Get off of that L.A. free well, I didn't tell her no. Down the road Ain't a cloud of smoke Only one I think I will miss I can hear your basement singing Sweet and low like a gift you're bringing Play it for me one more time now Got to give it all we can now I believe every word you say Keep on, keep on playing I can just get off I for some land that I ain't bought I thought if i just get off the bat At every way that I did not kill the car Put the pink slip in the mailbox Leave a key in the old front door lock Find it likely as not, with all the things that we have forgot. Oh, my lady, now don't you cry. Hey. Love's a gift, truly
7: handy.
1: We got something to believe in. Don't you think it's time we're I can just get out.
8: So it's just like fantastic to hear the crowd going crazy. That it really gives you a lot of insight into the uh, the sense of humor they had, into that charm that Jerry Jeff Walker had, and uh, and just the talent. It helps fill in some of the gaps because we do realize, you know, 50 years later, 50 years later, we know how fragile and delicate. That whole thing was, you know, I mean, it's not like those players stayed together forever, you know. So, this was a moment in time. They are just firing on all cylinders. It's pretty exciting.
0: Absolutely. I feel like the Whitliff is the perfect place to house it because with Bill Whitliff writing the screenplay to Lonesome Dove, you get, you take the Larry McMurtry story and you made it into this visual piece where you got the camaraderie and you got all that right. the the culture that goes around the characters your, your mind makes up some of it but it, when you have a screenplay you can see that records have that same kind of thing where you can form a relationship with that, with that version of the song and then all of a sudden when you get this other information it, it opens up like the back door a little bit and and there is a new intrigue to something that may have become so familiar it doesn't inspire as much, and now all of a sudden you have a new way of looking at it. And that's yes. very, I think that's just yeah. and fascinating. And uh,
8: you know, Jerry Jeff was an incredibly complicated performer and an invented character in a certain way, but genuine in that same way. It seems almost like it took this driven character a guy that had already written Mr. Bojangles by that time, had been hitchhiking around the country for years, you know, just knocking around, sometimes with success, sometimes without success, and finally hit. You know, one of the areas in the exhibit that I have is some artifacts to show what Jerry Jeff was doing in that decade before. He was just knocking around. I mean, a lot of people may not know that uh, a young guy named Ronald Clyde Crosby, from Oneonta, New York, whose really only claim to fame had been extremely local in this small town. He was a basketball stud. I mean, he was in the papers all the time. He was an incredible athlete. But he had no real direction. He'd kind of dabbled in doo-wop and early rock and roll, you know, and then went AWOL from the New York National Guard with a Martin baritone ukulele and lived under an alias for almost three years. As, a, as under the name Jerry Ferris and was uh, performing around campfires and down in Florida and then settled in New York. I mean, not in New York, in New Orleans for a while. So it's kind of this mysterious life that he's sort of living, you know, in his early 20s, but he's absorbing music like a sponge. And there in New Orleans, he befriends a blues musician named Babe Stovall, who really is a uh, You know, fundamental in in shaping Jerry Jeff Walker, and that's the character that we get.
0: Hence, the Outlaw Country. Yeah,
8: somehow (laughs) gets to Outlaw Country, and then and then I didn't even mention in the in in the middle of all that was in a psychedelic folk rock band called Circus Maximus. So, it's quite a up and down sort of existence. You know, that drifting kind of life that he often wrote about. You know, and in those early days, a lot of folks may not realize that Jerry Jeff was very much in that uh, ramblin' Jack Elliott form, uh, very much like Woody Guthrie. We have a lot of uh, music from his earliest known recording in 1963 and 64, where he was just aping Bob Dylan and uh, Woody Guthrie. I mean, with that sort of talking blues Mm -hmm. style Mm -hmm. and writing about things like poverty and hunger and uh, streetcars and urban development. I mean... Things that we just wouldn't even associate with Jerry Jeff Walker, you know, so he'd kind of been around the block. And I think that, you know, once he gets into the Austin and sees how, you know, sort of the excitement that's happening in that early 70s period, it really wasn't until he gets almost that sort of electrified version or, or sort of electrified folk version that the Gonzos bring that you really get, I think, the essential Jerry Jeff. Sort of in the same way, you know, Dylan with the band, you know, in that 66 tour and then later in the 74 tour. I love Bob Dylan. I mean, I've seen him in so many. I mean, I've seen him a lot in concert. I love his music, all the different eras. But you have to say that when he was with the band, that they sounded a certain way. You know, like Dylan never sounded the same way that he did with the band and and vice versa. The same is true of Jerry Jeff and the Gonzo's and we have photographs you know really cool Burton Wilson photographs from the Armadillo World Headquarters early 70s when Jerry Jeff was looked like Jerry Jeff but was still just performing sitting on a stool i mean he was a child of the folk music boom but also early rock and roll so mm-hmm. it's it's not it was not a stretch for Jerry Jeff to rock out yeah you know it was not you know as a matter of fact he's got a distinctive voice the more i got into these tapes super distinctive Voice. I mean, that really explains why Jerry Jeff connected with people, and uh, great songwriter.
0: Yeah, and the exhibit takes us to a a place where we can really see the the who he was as a character and a person at that time. Right. And uh, and then get a chance to hear what was happening on the floor in the studio, which the studio for Viva Tilingra was the Lucanbach Dance Hall. You can hear the crickets and the locusts, and (laughs) that's part of the. And that opened up a new way to think, too, because at that time, records were made in a laboratory, you know, and, and they were like, we're not going to do that. We're going to go out here to this shack and make a record. Right. And Link Ray did that. And then, you know, Dylan and yeah. the band. I and think, for and,
8: Jerry Jeff, it kind of that's what he needed, you know, because he had made some great records before. But I think he felt like he still wasn't get, you know, wasn't what he was hearing in his head. Yeah. Exactly. And you know, you mentioned those crickets. You can literally hear the crickets yeah, so- in the in the music. And those crickets are probably in the hay bales that they were using for sound baffles. It yeah. was really amazing. I we love had, that. Yeah. There's very few there's a there's a couple of photos that are mostly out of focus from that. Cause it's not like the musicians were taking photographs of each other. They were just there having a good time. And you can, you know, a couple of times in some of the outtakes, you can hear them walking away from the microphones and you hear them walking on the wooden floor. So, uh, you know, like Star Trek, I can't quite get you there telepathically, (laughs) you know, but I could get you as close to August 1973 as you can possibly get. I get you in the room and uh, within, uh, almost within touching it. There are moments on that tape among the camaraderie where he'll go, well, uh, like stuff like, well, uh, come on, guys, we got to hurry. Uh, audience is waiting. And that's not in front of a crowd. He's just trying to get, yeah, he's he's trying just, to get those get guys. Like, come on, let's get picking. You know, oh, yeah. that, you know, again, a little bit of an insight into the personality of Jerry Jeff Walker and why maybe that setting works so well for him. Cause, and also, it is so beautifully Texas or what we think of Texas music, right? Hey, guys, got the amps on. Let's go, man. Let's play. Don't just just lay in there. You know, I'll play the G chord. You guys lay in. So so, that's so a, many that's people have thing.
0: have migrated to Texas from all over the world to find that when they come here to Austin or to now Lockhart right. or wherever they're going out to Luke and Buck and they want to they want to find that romance that, that that at first it was Willie Nelson to them and then they get deeper and they know it's what Jerry Jeff found out there you know right. and there's something there you know and there's something in this area and maybe it was the time and but it's also the the culture and the people yeah. and you just. It was very much a free way to live, yeah. you know, and a free way to make records. Yeah, And,
8: uh, you know, I'm really excited for uh, Susan Walker and Django and the family to see the exhibit, but really, I'm more excited for her grandchildren to see it, to see their grandfather in that youthful heyday, in, getting in that room what the Country Music Hall of Fame was not willing to do. I mean, dedicate a whole, I mean, you know, to dedicate a whole gallery to what, Jerry Jeff and the Gonzos were doing. Yeah, I would love for her, uh, his grandchildren to see that, the sort of that reverence that we've taken. And, you know, and also Susan has told me that, you know, had, had Jerry Jeff at that period of time when he still was sort of a, you know, very sort of drifting about, had he not met Hondo, he probably would not have stayed in the Austin area. You know, he connected with Hondo, Crouch, Hondo, no, you know, Jerry Jeff, throughout his life, one of the things that, you know, if you dig into his archives, he had an affinity for um, these older characters, you know, like he was very close to his grandfather, the blues. uh, There was another musician, Kirby Walker, in New York, where he takes his last name from eventually, you know. He was, he he connected, he was kind of like an old soul, you know. And so you can kind of make the same case for Hondo Crouch, and they're sort of self-styled characters. That's you know, Jerry Jeff invented himself the same way that Dylan invented himself. Mm-hmm. And really, when you dig into Hondo's background, Hondo's kind of an invented character. You know, they, they, you get all these guys kind of saying, "Hey, I'm not going to live by by any boundaries. You know, I'm I, I, this is who I. This is how I see myself, and yeah. this is who I am. I don't know necessarily that every project could get." The same sort of treatment that we're doing with the audio, you know, because one of the things that makes it work is these personalities, you know, is that enthusiasm, you know, you know, they're big personalities, big egos, you know, big songwriting talents. So that sort of dissection works.
0: You hear it. You hear the arrangements happening. Oh yeah. And that's fantastic.
8: Yeah, I mean, incredible. And I, and also, I I have to say that to be able to give. Um, not only Jared Jeff, his due and rightful place, which he's already a legend, and he doesn't need me, but people, musicians like Bob Livingston and Gary P. Nunn and Michael McGeary, who was the drummer, and uh, Mary Egan, who played fiddle, and Herb Steiner, who played steel. The recognition... That they deserve. They've gotten it over the years, but more so, you know, to say, hey, it's 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 worth being in a museum in a big, big way, you know. And um, I'm I'm proud of that, you know. I, we all are at the Whitliff Collections. I mean, and this is, you know, not something that was a a, a snap judgment. I mean, this is a, a project that really has been in the works for years. When you visit the Whitliff, there's about 75 minutes of d- newly discovered audio, never before heard. A small percentage, you know, a couple of songs are the song are the actual versions from the record, but where we could, you know, eke out a few extra seconds at the beginning or the end because there's actually something there that's different. A couple, one of them had a slightly different intro. I want to say that was Backslider's "Wine" and 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 some uh, talking at the end, and there was an I'm, I'm drawing a blank now, but others where you see hear the footsteps at the end. So we tried to like squeeze out as much music as we could. Uh, that's playing there in the room.
0: It's nice to see it taken seriously in that space, and um, I hope it inspires and rewards the people that are doing it today yeah. on the shoulders of it. Well, and, we're uh,
8: surrounded by young people there at the Whitliff. You know, we're we're smack dab in the middle of campus. We're at the we're the whole seventh floor of the Alkek Library it's got a great, uh, vista up there, you know, very beautiful scenery that you can see with these big glass windows and yeah. some study areas up there. So there's students up there. And last week, the freshmen were in, you know, and, yeah. and uh, it's funny, you know, they, they kind of peek in and who, you know, I, I can't pretend to know what they're thinking. You know, they might think Jerry Jeff Walker, is that a type of bourbon or something, but they dug the music. <laughs> sure. It was crazy. You know, I mean, they were digging the visuals. Love the music. One young woman said, oh, my grandmother loves Jerry Jeff Walker. I said, your grandmother might have been a pretty wild woman. She she was. Uh, Yeah, that's right. (laughs) So something I wanted to try to achieve was, first of all, if you didn't know anything, like, and viva trilinga. So what was it? Wanted to hopefully get a little closer to answering that question. And then why do we care so much? Jerry Jeff Walker found his voice. He found his being, I think, on that record. And also... Texas found its voice with that record in a very real, real way. You know, you yeah. know, it's a little more welcoming. W- Willie has that mm-hmm. property. And you know? it, yeah.
0: He's a storyteller. Yeah. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. There's
8: that. I think that's what makes it work. Been sort of obsessed with it my wife. No, I think <laughs> it's <know>? great. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but it's a, it's a fun obsession. And, I love it. Yeah. And we're open. We're, you know, uh, the Whitliff is open daily. Uh, it's free admission and the exhibit runs until spring of 2025. So there is time to go see it, and uh, we'll probably be tweaking it, you know, trying to add some surprises, which is what we try to do. But uh, I hope to see your fans out there.
1: Hi, buckaroos. Scamp Walker time again. Yeah, I'm trying to slide one by you once more. Don't matter how you do it, they say just do it like you know it. Diving down this road once or twice before. It's not really your monster track, Mike. I mean, uh, but it keeps the record from being too short. <laughs> think she is too, been busted, I'll probably get busted some more, but I'll catch it all later, can't let them stop me now, I've been down this road once, twice, four, years I'm getting by, by my stockings.
0: Viva Trilingua, the big bang of Texas music. You can see it at the Whitliff Collections on the seventh floor of the Albert B. Alkick Library, Texas State University, 601 University Drive in San Marcos. It goes through the spring of 2025, and it's weekdays from 8.30 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. Weekend hours will vary. It's a free exhibit, so don't miss it. 78644 is brought to you by Texas Hatters, Wella Foods, Thunderbird Bars, the Little Alamo Airbnb, and in kind sponsors are Printing Solutions, Wilkins Island, Courthouse Nights, the Rock House Airbnb, Birdie House Airbnb, Gaslight Baker Theater, Crystal Glaze Photography. Our show is produced by Kate Collins, recorded at Tributor Image and Sound in Lockhart, Texas, edited by myself, Stephen Collins, and Danny Manning. In studio performances by Mags Baker. Other music by Melissa Carper and Jerry Jeff Walker and the Lost Gonzo Band. Cherry Jeff Walker Music Courtesy of the Whitliff Collections. Thanks to our contributor Will Rhodes for Eye on the Sky. Our show is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, Radio Public, and everywhere else where podcasts are streamed. Thanks so much for listening. It's
1: organic and it comes from the vine. It's all so legal and it gets you so high. Yeah, and I love that sangria wine. Love to drink it with old friends of mine. Yeah, I love to get drunk with friends of mine. When we're drinking that old sangria